Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, this is Emma, production and experience director at the Webby Awards. You might remember me from the old ads, but I'm back. Are you as impressed by the work of the Webby winners as we are? The work honored at the Webby Awards is changing the future of the internet, and you can have access to all the deets behind it. Sign up to the Webby Gallery and Index to uncover insights, inspiration, and trends for your work or just for fun. You'll get the ability to discover innovative projects from around the world that are awesome online, a database of credits to check out who made all that groundbreaking digital work, Trends and insights not available outside of our database, including major categories like fashion, sports, and social, and the advanced power of search. So if you're ahead of us and want to find something we didn't mention, you can do that too. Make sure you're in the know and sign up for free at the top of our page at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. All up in your feed. Act now or face disaster. Let your computer daydream science. Know the past and form today. Hey there, and welcome back to Season 7 of the Webby Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce my next guest. This year, he made one of the year's most important websites to track the spread of coronavirus. Today on the Webby Podcast, Webby Person of the Year, Avi Schiffman. Avi is a 17-year-old web developer from Washington who created ncove2019.live, a website to track COVID-19 long before the novel coronavirus had a name. His story of how he was inspired to create the project by floating around in online chat rooms is a great reminder of what smart people and the internet can do together. When he released the website, China was tracking just 51 cases and in three days boomed to 2,000. Eight months later, NCOV has become an important tool to help people understand how the virus is moving around the world. But it wasn't easy. Avi had to navigate lack of government transparency with infectious numbers, as well as international pressure to keep the virus numbers accurate for all countries. Before diving in, we talk about the first project that taught him the tools necessary to launch NCOV. Before I made the coronavirus website, I had made something for my school. In Washington State, all of the public high schools, all the sports that we do goes through something called Kinko. They have like a whole website and everything like that, but it's really, really ugly. I mean, it looks like it was made, you know, a billion years ago. It doesn't work on like a phone at all. And it's just super ugly and very bad to use. However, all the information is still there. So what I did is I figured out how to use web scrapers for the first time. And, you know, it was just a project to learn how to use that. And I started working on a website to take all the information from my school, from Kinko, and then take the UI and the, you know, cool niceness of ESPN's website. And I merged them together and I made something for my school that, you know, you could find all the sports for the school very easily on like a very nice looking thing. Like on mobile, it worked really well. 
you know, it's all like the colors of my school and they added, you know, cool features and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of a precursor to the NCOV site. And I made that, I don't know, maybe like mid-December. So was that just so like you could go to the site and see like who won the basketball game kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, like it would be like live updating numbers for all the sports that were like football and cheerleading and all that kind of stuff like that. And you'd be able to see all the scores and all that kind of stuff. But I made it look, you know, actually nice to look at and not like right. a terrible old, you know, PDF looking website. And, you know, it was all kind of color coded for MIHS. And, you know, I remember I did something cool where like ESPN has like a green W and like a red L if for like if you win or lose. And I added all these like cool features and like the icons of like the high school's logos and stuff like that. It was really fun. So I made that before the coronavirus website. And like the tables on NCOV are the same as the tables on the sports website, for example, they're just a different color. And, you know, when I first started NCOV, I was only tracking China and stuff. So it was easy to just, you know, take everything from the sports website and just kind of reskin it and rework it for the coronavirus one. So hmm. it was like a precursor to that. And I just, you know, in kind of late December, early January, whenever I kind of started it, I was just, you know, hanging around in like chat rooms and seeing what was going on in the world. And I noticed that there was this kind of this virus or whatever. Back then, it didn't have a name. You know, the COVID-19 was not a, a name at all back then. That's why the domain for NCOV is such a kind of, in my opinion, kind of terrible domain. You know, it's so complicated and hard to remember and say. So I just, you know, I noticed that it was just really hard to find the most up-to-date information for the, you know, the coronavirus. If I wanted the most up-to-date numbers, I'd have to go to Chinese government websites that, again, you know, they're all, I don't, I don't speak Mandarin. That the websites are terrible to use on a phone, of course, too. They're all kind of government words and everything like that. Just paragraphs of stuff in Mandarin that I have no idea how to read. I just want to see the numbers just right there. I want to see how many people are infected, how many people uh, are dead, all that kind of stuff. And there were also news articles, but they were mostly out of date by the time I read them anyways. And, you know, they're not dynamically updating or anything like that. And I feel like they could be better as well, too. But all the information then is still there, similar to the sports thing. So I just started working on like a very simple dashboard back then. It was a lot easier to just deal with China, right? So, you know, I was just seeing how many cases. I think when I first released the website, there was like 51 cases or something. You know, it, there was like nothing. And then like, you know, three days later, there were like 2,000 or something. So it was a very different time. If there was only 51 cases in China, like how did you even, like were you even, was it just you were in chat rooms where people were kind of talking about it ahead of time kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it was just something i noticed it was right. just like i never expected it was going to become a pandemic this is just yeah. like I, I was just trying to get better at using specific skills and this was just something to use like i wanted to learn how to how to code apis and and use them so instead of just you know writing just a boring script it's like okay you know you're getting something i decided to make a whole website around that so i made this whole kind of mars weather application from this nasa api to get temperatures from some place in mars i made it look like a modern weather application and everything like that Oh, that's cool. Just, yeah, so it was fun to just make entire things around new things to learn. Um, that was one of the reasons why I made the coronavirus website. And it was just, you know, something something to make. I was actually working on something for wildfires because that was big in Australia, if you remember back in like... Right, you know, totally. I do, yeah. yeah. In December. But I got kind of distracted from that when I saw the virus because it just, I don't know, seemed more interesting. Did you have like friends in chat rooms or something who were in China that helped you figure out which were the government? Yeah, I have some friends in Asia. Like I have a friend in Korea that I talked to a lot. I mean, the whole virus was, I think, a lot more known in kind of Asia and, and Europe too before it came to the United States. I think that the first case in the U.S. was like well after I had made the site, like January 26th, I think. And it was actually scary because 
it was in Washington. Um, and it was kind of weird because I've been working on this website about some, you know, Asian virus that is now, you know, right in the same state as me. So that, that was kind of scary, I remember. But, you know, it was still very strange because, you know, nobody was wearing masks. I was completely still in school. You know, nobody was talking about it at all. But I was still in the background just working on this website. And, you know, I had maybe around 30,000 users a day. And I had been partnered with kind of the big communities online. So on Reddit, for example, the r slash coronavirus and, you know, some of the other just big communities for that, I kind of partnered with them. And my website was just kind of like in the sidebar and things just because, you know, there were no other coronavirus websites back then. And mine was just, you know, the one that was there. I could make NCOV in a couple hours right now because all you would have to do is just, you know, use all the APIs. But I, I still like mine more because it updates faster than any other website I've been able to find because all the web scrapers are, you know, individual ones that none of the other places are using. There's like 250 plus individual just web scrapers for all kinds of different countries and breakdowns, etc. But yeah, so I just kind of made that website back then and it was posted online and stuff like that. It was pretty popular, kind of a plateaued thing. And then in kind of early February, like early mid-February, I posted something in Nextdoor, which is kind of a, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's like yeah, a of course. Yeah, yeah. So I posted it in there just, you know, hey, since this is a, a virus that's, you know, becoming to be more important, I have made this website that, you know, you could use to find information on it because like, you know, my local King County thing is not like, they don't have anything back then. I don't have no COVID trackers. And a lot of people really, really liked it. And what one person gave a tip then to a local kind of tech blogger for GeekWire in Seattle. And I just did a fun little interview with that. I didn't really think much of it. But I mean, within 24 hours, I was, you know, doing things with Seattle Times and the national news and then international news. I mean, it spread really, really fast because I guess it was just kind of a very easy story to write. And, and like every single place around the world, you know, no matter what city you're in, is talking about the coronavirus. And here's a nice story to talk about with the coronavirus. So mm. media kind of instantly propelled it to just, you know, massive. It was just kind of like a, a circle, you know, the, yeah. the more media happen, you know, the more visitors happen to the site. So, you know, the more interesting it was to write about the website when there's, you know, millions of visitors instead of thousands of visitors. So, you know, it just spread like wildfire really. And, you know, in the peak times of like, I think the peak day was like March 23rd, there was just so many visitors from all around the world. And you know, it's a lot of pressure too. I bet. I bet you people, I mean, you do something tiny on the internet that's that's not right. People lose their mind. You're doing something like super relevant and big, right? Yeah, like I'd wake up with like 500 emails from like some like random country I've never heard of that. Like their numbers are off by like a couple numbers or something like that. I mean, you know, it's it's a lot of like just international pressure to keep the website running perfectly 24-7 when I'm not like an industry professional programmer and I just right. and, you know, made this website. I still find it cool that, you know, I'm in control and everything. Like right now I could open up like the terminal and just delete the entire thing forever with like a couple clicks. I just, I like being in control of my own website and I'm glad that I never kind of sold that earlier on. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that, that I feel like there were like two stories kind of circulating around the media for a while too. It was one that I made the website, which was a lot more fun to kind of talk about, but then there were also a lot of media about just me turning down money to like buy it and stuff. People just couldn't understand why I didn't want to, you know, fill my website with ads and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, that that's something I've had to talk about in most of my interviews. I didn't even want to talk about that. My mom kind of brought it up some Bloomberg interview from a while ago. And that's that's been kind of interesting. But, you know, I turned down a lot of those things just because the kind of opportunities and connections and things that have happened because 
you know, I never just kind of destroyed my website, you know, destroyed the user experience, all those kinds of things have been far greater than anything I could have done with 8 million. I mean, what would you done if you had just made $8 million? I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do, you know, the connections and stuff that I have are just so much more powerful. Like I wouldn't be able to talk to Tim Berners-Lee next week if I had just, you know, disappeared from the world back in February. And also, how does that look in the media too? Is like kind of like a profiteering kind of thing, you know, there's a 17 year old kid that makes millions of dollars off an economic crisis and millions of people suffer. You know, it's not the most nice story. You know, I wouldn't have won the Webby Awards, right? If my website was just another website filled with tons of ads and terrible and, you know, I wouldn't have been in control of that and I just would have had to kind of give it away, which I would not have wanted. Good for you. That's not a decision most people would have made. I guess not. I mean, a lot of people really, you know, flame me for that, but I, I don't know. I mean, just if I need money to, you know, work on some kind of startup or something like that, I can get that kind of money because the most important thing is having your foot in the door. You know, I just know so many private investors, venture capitalists, angel investors, all those kinds of things. Um, And they'll at least like, you know, read my business plan or something like that. That matters a lot more than just having a chunk of money that, you know, $8 million doesn't last forever, especially when you're trying to make a bunch of cool tech companies and stuff like that go by a lot faster than I think a lot of people think, you know, it's not enough money to just like, you know, move to the Caribbean and live the rest of my life on pirate ships. That's so fun anyway. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I like this one quote I saw on a YouTube comment, how like, I turned down $8 million to make $8 billion. So do it. <laughs> um, tell me this, though. So one thing I would imagine you're like out there, you're, ha- you're basically writing all these scrapers to get all the data all over the place. At the same time, like, some of the data is really good. Some of it, I'm sure you're aware. You're like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Yeah. And then I bet you had all these people who are emailing you, probably being, probably complaining about like, oh, that data is not right, and these people are lying. And I'll, like, how did you think about including data and which data to include and and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, trust me, I still get emails all the time of just some random things. People people like to complain. If you like something, you usually don't say anything. But if you don't like something, then you like to complain. For different countries, it's harder to get information from. So, for example, let's say Russia, you know, it's harder to just get that information because it's not easily accessible. Like the United States actually, too, is very hard because the CDC doesn't report anything anymore. So honestly, United States is one of the hardest countries to get information from as well these days because I have to go directly to the source for all the different states, which is faster, I guess, in a way, but still kind of, you know, annoying because so many things change format so often that the more kind of scrapers I have, the more maintenance it needs. These days, things have stayed pretty stable for the past couple months. But yeah, so the numbers that I do get from countries like Russia, they're hard to get in the first place. And the numbers that I do get, you know, a lot of people believe that they're underreported or, you know, not the actual correct numbers, all sorts of things. I would say that NCOV is the least number of confirmed cases. And, you know, it's pretty obvious, I'd say that there's obviously just a lot more cases in the world. You know, there's probably closer to, I don't know, 50 to 100 million, something like that. A lot of people just don't get tested. A lot of countries just don't have that. You know, Africa, for example, they're dealing with all kinds of other diseases and things and stuff like that in, in Africa that they don't have to dealing with another, you know, pandemic is kind of a hassle. So, you know, testing that many people and all those kinds of things is, is not the easiest. So obviously there's a lot more cases in the world. This is just kind of, I would say, the least amount of cases, probably about the same amount of deaths, but, you know, there's probably way, way more cases. But, you know, I'm only able to report what's publicly available. It's more on the governments to be transparent with 
you know, their people and everything. Yeah. Um, some countries I trust a lot more. Some countries are a lot different. I mean, working on this website, I've had to deal with a lot of interesting geopolitical problems I never thought I'd have to deal with and I don't really understand. Like countries like Taiwan, um, you know, I have a lot of users in China that, you know, agreed to have China like and Taiwan as like the same thing. But then I have a lot of users in kind of the United States and and Europe and stuff that, you know, want Taiwan to be like its own international country. So it's all kinds of arguments I get. I mean, you should see the emails I get. It's like crazy. Just whether you're like listing Taiwan with China is very controversial. With or without China, it's controversial. Like when I first kind of started the website, when China was a much kind of bigger deal, I'd have like China and then international. And I had Taiwan in the international section just because I didn't really know anything about those problems in Asia. Right. Uh, then I got you know, tons and tons of emails every day about, you know, Taiwan is, you know, part of China, all these kinds of things. I'm just some 17-year-old kid from Washington State. You think I understand geopolitical problems in, like, Southeast Asia? No, I have no idea. So a lot of interesting things you have to deal with when working on something like this. You know, there's also a lot of weird adults and stuff like that. You know, you have to be careful about who you talk to and, you know, who you decide for people to be, like, you know, your mentor, all those kinds of things. You know, a lot of adults that would you know, obviously want to take advantage of a, you know, kid like that. But I think I'm pretty good at, you know, saying no to those kinds of people and dealing yeah. with that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I have expensive lawyers and stuff and all that kind of things. I mean, it, it's a hassle, but, you know, that's the price you pay for, you know, being in so much random media and running such a big website. But I or think I was gonna say it's the price you pay for having a massive website. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's worth it. Uh, you know, it, it's been really cool because, Besides the crazy people emails, there's still, you know, tons and tons of actually really cool emails to people that are really actually affected by it. I mean, there are people that check it, you know, when they wake up, when they fall asleep. It helps families stay connected with their children all around the world. I mean, imagine if there were no, none of these COVID trackers and you have a daughter living in Taiwan, you have a son living in, I don't know, Bangladesh or something like that, you know, all around the world. And, you know, those are a bunch of different websites you have to go to in all kinds of different languages. But, you know, with NCOV and everything, all that stuff is in one place in whatever language you want, which makes it a lot easier for people to kind of monitor how, like, their family is doing around the world, all that kind of stuff. So it's been really cool to genuinely affect millions of people's lives. You know, I never thought that would happen with a website like this. This was just, you know, another project to get better at coding. But yeah. That's really like the way that some of the biggest things on the web started, really, though, right? It's like yeah, it's yeah. people who had like compassion or interest in something and wanted to explore it and found other people who agreed. Or You never intend to make something that popular, really, from the start. I mean, when Facebook was made, I don't think they ever thought it would be what it is now. You know, something simple for colleges and stuff. And, you know, I think also one of the success to NCOV is also really due to timing as well. You know, back in the other coronavirus in like early 2000s, SARS and everything. Back then, people didn't have smartphones. The internet was a very different place. But these days, you know, everyone has a smartphone and it's so easy to just, you know, go to a website like this that I, I think that greatly contributes to the success. I mean, 80% of my traffic are mobile users. When I yeah. designed my website, you know, I, I talked a lot about earlier how all these websites for the government and everything are just don't work on mobile. They're terrible. So I wanted to make my website work really well on mobile devices from the start. So that's why if you visit it on like, you know, your phone, the first thing you see is just the quick facts. You see the total confirmed cases, you know, total deceased, all that, all that information is right there at a glance. Then you can scroll down and see, you know, breakdowns of other countries and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, all the information you need is right there when you open up the, the website. And, you know, it's just like quick facts of just the pandemic. 
And I think that the success of that is greatly due to just so many people having smartphones and the internet just being such a accessible thing. I mean, you know, I, I think that if this pandemic was 10 years ago or something, you know, it'd be a very different place and NCOP definitely wouldn't have been uh, as popular as it is now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To some extent, you're like, in the middle of the data, right? Like you learn something about information when you're so enmeshed in it. Like what are the things about the virus itself that you sort of like learn that people might not know or might not realize? I mean, I've been staring at these numbers for months and months on end. And, you know, NCOV is the whole point of it is to provide the raw data for then all these scientists and stuff. Then, you know, I, a lot of people writing like their dissertations and whatever, like asked me to give them like the information in a different kind of way. And then they make their own, you know, graphs and predictions and everything like that. But what I've been able to see just by looking at just the numbers and nothing else is that, you know, for a while ago, for example, South Korea and Iran had very similar case counts, but Iran had, you know, considerable amount more deaths and then started spreading a lot faster. And I think what you're able to see just by looking at those numbers is that how the government is responding to the virus, uh, you know, kind of medical infrastructure they have, if their hospitals are overwhelmed, all that kind of stuff. I think you're able to see just by looking at the numbers, you know, if South Korea and Iran have the same cases, but Iran has like 10 times more deaths, obviously something different is happening in the way that they're dealing with the virus. And so, you know, just being able to look at all that information for months, you know, it's kind of just like a, you know, you, you see different countries have different spikes. I mean, all of a sudden a country will go from, you know, 20 something place to like, you know, fifth place or something like that. I mean, countries like India, I mean, they're like skyrocketing in cases. They'll probably overtake the U.S. soon, actually. You're able to infer a lot of things about how the country is, is dealing with things just by looking at those numbers. I mean, South Korea, for example, has like less cases and deaths than just the county that I'm in in Washington, just wow. King County, which is just like Seattle and Mercer Island kind of area and stuff, right? More cases there than the entire country of South Korea which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Aside from like the stress of running website that is mm -hmm. so popular, like following this all the time, it's like pretty dark stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, looking at, you know, millions of people dying for months and months on end can, I guess, desensitize this to you and you see it more as just statistics and numbers. I mean, a while ago, it would be like, you know, a lot more, it was a lot more interesting to, to look at the website back in kind of March and stuff because not every country, you know, was infected. There used to be a counter I had of how many countries out of 195 were infected. And, you know, you'd wake up and all of a sudden France and Belgium are infected. And then, you know, you wake up again and now like, I don't know, Portugal is infected. And you're able to see, 
you know, from 50 cases to like 150 cases the next day. And, you know, that kind of stuff was, was very scary to watch for a while. But now it's like, oh, another 170 cases in France, you know, that's, what, what big deal is that? And so I, I think it kind of desensitizes you to, you know, that, that's still a lot of people, 170 cases. I mean, that's a lot of families if you think about that. Yeah. But when you just stare at these numbers, you know, all day, every day for like, I don't know what it's been like over nine months now, you know, yeah. just tiring. Yeah, <laughs> but, I bet. But yeah, the scientists are able to do cool stuff with it. So you started another site over the summer, 2020 protest, I think it's called. It, Tell me about that. So I guess I've always just been looking out for opportunities of things to make. I mean, I've learned a ton of epidemiology and stuff working on this website. But, you know, that wasn't like my passion before that. I just saw an opportunity to make something. And, you know, with the 2020 protests, I noticed that there were all these protests happening in the United States. But one thing I noticed is that when people were posting things on Instagram, for example, they'd post like, here are resources and whatever. If you live in like, I don't know, let's say Kansas or, you know, Washington or something. But what if, you know, you're looking at that and you live in, I don't know, New Hampshire or something like that, like a completely different state, and that information is not super useful for you. So I started a website to kind of combine that all into one place. So for each individual state, you could see where protests were, you know, what kind of information there was, like, is the National Guard deployed? Um, how many, I even added the COVID cases for how many there were, just all kinds of information, all kinds of resources, there are all kinds of petitions and all kinds of things. So there were, you know, pages of information just in general usage about you know, all kinds of different things and i made that and people really liked it because then they could share one thing that was helpful for you know no matter where their followers were instead of just sharing one thing for that specific state you can still go and find information there's a lot of resources there but you know, the individual state updating i'm focusing more on other projects now but um that that was a fun project to run for a while and that that was kind of interesting too because that was just a side project i had made like here's just something interesting you know, this could help a couple of people or whatever, but, you know, it wasn't like I was thinking this is going to be something big or anything. And I just, I remember I tweeted that I went to sleep, I woke up and it was on NBC and a bunch of other things like GeekWire and stuff. So that, that was pretty startling because like, well, there's a lot of people that are following me, just looking for things that I make. And if I can make something, you know, in, in like a weekend or whatever as a side project, what would happen if I actually put a lot of effort to making like bigger projects and stuff and actually, you know, reached out back to a lot of the media and stuff, what would happen? That, that was a fun little project I made a while ago. Right now, I'm working on something for elections as well. So originally, I was trying to make something that was like getting more young people to vote. I thought that would have been cool. But I can't really compete with like Snapchat and Instagram, how like within the app, they just have like, you know, are you signed up to vote kind of stuff? That's cool. And I actually talked with Snapchat's, their, their whole team about that. And that, that was pretty fun, you know, helping them with ideas and stuff. And it's pretty cool because they've gotten hundreds of thousands of people to register to vote. Once you do get that ballot, how do you know who to actually vote for? I mean, a lot of people want to vote for candidates that their policies align with, but their campaign websites are terrible. It's very hard to find that information. So trying to think about cool things I can do. I want to make it a place that's easy to find information on the policies of the candidates and the main issues and stuff um, and everything about that. I also want it to be a place where you can find kind of like a schedule of upcoming things and also debates and stuff. But I had this cool idea because I want to make it more of, you know, a website that you can come back to. Because with NCOV, people will check that multiple times per day, you know, when they wake up and stuff. That's kind of hard to do with a site for elections. There's this website called Genius, uh, where they kind of have music and stuff like that. And what you can do is you can annotate different parts of that. 
I took that idea and I'm working on adding that then to debate transcripts and policies and all that kind of stuff so people can, you know, discuss kind of things based on, you know, like, I don't know, maybe Trump's immigration policy. You know, there could be, you know, information on that. And then you could just annotate like a line of that and then, you know, post kind of something. Um, then people can like upvote that kind of comment or whatever. And it would be kind of a, a place for discussion on those specific politics, but, you know, not like random posts, but specifically related to actual lines of dialogue of different policies and stuff. So that, that was one idea I've been working on. You know, it's been pretty hard to work on that website just because I want to make something original and good that is actually helpful too. I hope to complete that around the time of the first debate when I think it's going to become a much bigger deal. Uh, the United States, you know, it's going to be all over the media and stuff. There's nothing on the site right now, but who to dot vote. Yeah. So that'll be a fun project that I'm working on right now. I'm still kind of designing it. You know, there are some things I've seen where you can find the policies of candidates, like on these campaign websites for Joe Biden or Donald Trump, their websites suck for finding just the policies. Like if I would just find what is your policy on, you know, foreign policy or something like that, it's very hard to find that. It, you have to dig so much and it shouldn't have to be that hard. And I also want to add on my website where you can directly compare Trump's immigration you know, policy and Biden's immigration policy. You can put them right next to each other and actually see instead of going to, you know, flipping back and forth between two ugly campaign websites. Was your interest renewed, I guess, when you started working on the on the protest site? And like, what was your before you worked on that? What was the conversation around like amongst your friends around like Black Lives Matter? And like, how has that changed? And has that been part of why you're more interested in doing something with websites and politics? You know, the new hot thing to do is, uh, you know, post on Instagram about, you know, major activist kind of things. So it's been interesting. Um, it's also cool to see a lot of people, you know, posting stuff from 2020 protests back when I was mainly still running that site on social media. That was pretty cool. But I guess five years ago or something like that, I would have felt a lot weirder making something for politics just as like a 17 year old. I don't know. I think it's been a lot more acceptable lately for the youth to get involved in just what's going on in the world, especially with, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, all that kind of stuff. I think it's seen a, a much bigger renewed interest in the, you know, Gen Z kind of generation. So yeah, I say that I guess that probably has contributed to me wanting to work on something like that. The whole world has been kind of crazy these days. Like my generation, I wasn't born for 9-11, for example, as weird as that, you know, is to think about, but my generation in America has never had any big world event like this. You know, there's never been anything scary. I mean, sure, there's, you know, the wars in the Middle East, but nobody really knows what's happening um, in like high school students and stuff. So you know, it's been pretty interesting, I guess, to kind of see the world in a very different way. I mean, 2019, as a high school student in America, was a very different time than now. I think my generation stuff is now a lot more aware to things like economic crises in Lebanon, to, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, uh, which has been very interesting. So, yeah, that definitely has made me want to make a website like the election site and the protest site. Well, I mean, just from our perspective, like, it's it's just really inspiring to see like when you go to the protest site and then you like go to your team page and you see really that like it's it's a collection of like i assume other i mean i could tell from looking at their twitter profiles and stuff a lot of them are other high school students and i assume you sort of found each other online through like a common you know desire to do something and it's just like awesome to see people your age like you know it's great that everybody is like posting things and aware but it's also really amazing to see people using these tools 
to be like really active in a, you know, it's a, it's like a serious thing and it's a lot more than, you know, anybody else is doing by a long shot. I definitely wanted to, you know, I guess share the spotlight too. And there's plenty of other high schoolers that are working on big things too. They're just not getting, you know, international media coverage necessarily for it. I just was in a chat room and stuff like that. And I kind of gathered just a group of high school students that wanted to help me gather information and update things for the website. So, you know, I, I kind of coded the website and all that kind of stuff and set up hosting and everything and, you know, set up things to gather the stuff. And then a lot of the students helped me, you know, gather the individual information just because that kind of stuff was a lot harder to web scrape, you know, they're there because that kind of stuff would be posted on like social media and be like a Google Doc of like locations of protests in Seattle or something like that. Um, that's not something you can easily web scrape in a reliable way. It's not like a table. So, you know, I just had a bunch of them just, you know, out there gathering information. And that, that was pretty cool. I mean, I'd say congratulations as much as like, thank you for all the stuff you're doing. It's really, it's really awesome. And like I said, we're all super fans here. And if we can be at all helpful or supportive, you know, reach out anytime. And thank you so much for sharing all the story behind it all with us. For sure. It's been an awesome experience uh, with the Webby Awards too. That, that was really fun. The whole speech and everything. I, I like my speech a lot, but you can learn anything online. It's really fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an absolute classic, honestly. Those are the ones that like stick with you. <laughs> yeah, well, um, hopefully one day you'll interview me for you know much bigger things I'm working on. I hope to make much bigger projects besides just simple websites and stuff. So, Avi Schiffman, Webby Person of the Year. Thanks again for joining us on the Webby Podcast. For sure. Thank you. A huge thank you to Webby Person of the Year, Avi Schiffman, for joining us on the Webby Podcast. This website is such an important work, and it's a testament to the resources we can all make for public good. If you haven't already, be sure to check out ncove2019.live. We'll link to it in the show notes. If you like the Webby Podcast and want to support it, leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really like it and you want to make my mom happy, leave us a review. If you are making great stuff on the internet, don't forget to enter. Our early deadline is Friday, October 30th. For more information about the Webby Awards and how to enter, visit webbyawards.com. That's W-E-B-B-Y awards.com. And on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our producer is Taylor Griffin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Terrence Brosnan is our editor. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is a big fan of watermelon juice. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.